Fabulous at Mount Airy Lodge or Pocono Gardens. Do all the things you've wanted to do all summer, all day, all night. Winter, spring, summer, fall. Call 966-7210 for reservations at Pocono Gardens and beautiful Mount Airy Lodge. Hello and welcome to FW Presents, the anthology show for the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Rob Kelly, and this is another episode of Mountain Comics, the show where I look back at the comic books I bought while on vacation in the Pocono Mountains of Pennsylvania in the 1970s and 1980s. And joining me in the cabin is my pal, Chris Franklin. Hi, Chris. Hey, Rob. How's it going? It's going great. I'm excited to be doing this one-off episode of Mountain Comics. Some of you out there may have noticed, I hope some of you have noticed, that I actually didn't do Mountain Comics this season. Um, I generally do it in the summer from May to around October. Uh, but between doing Superman Movie Minute, and MASHCAST, and Citizen Kane Movie Minute, I just had no other time left <laughs> to, to do another show, so I had to sacrifice something, so I decided to give Mountain Comics the summer off. So again, if, if you missed Mountain Comics, blame that jerk that does Citizen Kane Minute. But, uh, but, <laughs> but we had a space uh, on, the, on Sunday, in fact, the Sunday just before my birthday, uh, and I thought, well... I can fit in one episode of Mountain Comics, and and of all the of all the times uh, that I think about the you know my trips to the Pokemon, it was they were always around my birthday, so I figured this was the most appropriate time to try and squeeze in one trip to the Pocono cabins uh, again the day before my birthday. So thank you, Chris, for being here and, and doing this with me. Oh no, it's a pleasure, and you picked an actual Mountain Comic for Mountain Comics. So. Yes, yeah, this is perfect <laughs> all the way around. Yeah, and I also figured that since uh, Nightcast has been. Uh, on hiatus for a little bit we haven't been talking about batman lately we're we're we're, you know we got to get some batman content here on the show so we're here to talk about batman number 353 cover dated november 19 1982 it was on sale august 12th 1982 so before we get to the stories we have to talk about this awesome cover uh you've got batman strapped to a mountain face which is uh which bears the visage of the joker and behind him is the clown prince of crime saying top top bats looks like this will be our final face off and you'll see this image on our website findwaterpodcast.com but not only is it it's just a great fun image but it's drawn by jose luis garcia lopez praise Praise be his name name. this (laughs) is a marvel this cover to me it's like this is everything you need in a batman cover like what else do you need? Batman about to be killed by the Joker. Uh, it's brilliantly composed. I love that it's during the day. Like to me, that's just like a fun. Usually, Batman's all at night, but I like that this is you know. It's like, hey, it's a bright, shiny day, and Batman's about to be blown up. I, this I, this this image is just fantastic. Yeah, I, I think this uh, this was actually a. Uh, it's not a mountain comic for me, but it's a Begley's comic, which means it came from Begley's Drug, mm. uh, which was the store, the pharmacy down the uh, down the walkway from the uh, Hallmark store my mom managed in our local uh, shopping center. And uh, so my mom would occasionally, you know, drop in, and well, quite often drop in and pick up comics for me. And I guess I had missed this at my usual haunt of Eastside Pharmacy up the street for me. So this this comic grabbed my mom and said, "Oh, I need to buy this." So uh, <laughs> good job, DC and and Len Wein and and JLGLPBHN, uh, <laughs> because uh, you did it. And uh, that's also the store that uh, 
uh, Cindy was probably sitting in a corner reading a comic book when my mom bought this one. So that's that the amazing. Same, it's the same store we brought up on uh, For All Mankind that Cindy brought up For All Mankind. So oh, that's just amazing. Yeah. So this, yeah, this cover is just. I mean, and it doesn't. It doesn't hurt that around this time, um, JLGL was uh, all his. Uh, style guide art was starting to appear i mean it's mm -hmm. the year that the style guide was uh released to licensors uh and so this image of batman this this version of batman and the joker uh was soon going to become the version of batman and the joker that the public would would know so absolutely it's just and i love the use of um the zipatone that yeah. the JLGL employs and the shadows of the Joker's face and, and on some of the other shadings. It's just, again, it's, I mean, look, we don't need to go on and on about JLGL. We already have across this network for many years, <laughs> but even by his standards, this is top notch work. What kid could not plunk down 60 cents for this comic book? Cause you're just like, Oh my God, what a great idea. This is going to be so, I mean, no Batman's going to get out of it, but it's just such a great trap. So it's just a marvelous, marvelous. Journey. So let's, let's talk about the story. By the, way, by the way, there's two stories in this comic book for 60 cents. You little rat bastards. What else do you want? There's already two stories in this comic, but we're going to do one at a time. So the first story is last laugh. It is by Jerry Conway. Another, you know, there's another, another winner drawn by JLGL PBHN and inked by Dan Atkins. Okay, everybody, so here's the plot. The Joker is back. After using an image of Batman for target practice, the clown prince of crime promises that his newest scheme will, for sure, bring about the death of his nemesis. The Joker then shows up at an abandoned hotel, which we soon learn is not abandoned at all. It's filled with various Gotham lowlifes involved in various lowlife activities. The Joker strides in and everyone snaps to attention, except for one guy named Craps, who was on a roll and couldn't care less about who walked in. Only after the Joker shakes his hand and Craps ends up on the receiving end of a poisonous snake bite, courtesy of the beast coiled up Joker's sleeve, does Craps learn the error of his ways. The Joker then flashes a newspaper with a headline about the landmark Gotham Central Station that is about to be demolished. The rest of the lowlifes listen in as if they had a choice. Meanwhile, Batman is in pursuit of a man named Arthur Reeves, who had leaked some faked photos to a newspaper, supposedly revealing the Dark Knight's secret ID as a Gotham crime boss. In his terror, Reeves reveals that he got the photos from Rupert Thorne, not realizing he, realizing he just spilled the beans to former Commissioner Gordon, who was also there. As Robin takes Reeves home, Batman promises Gordon to get to the bottom of this. The next morning, Bruce Wayne is attending the demolition of the Gotham Central, as does Vicki Vale, who seems pensive and withdrawn. But before he can ask her what's wrong, there's a commotion when the planned demolition doesn't go off. Instead, on the computer monitors of the demolition team is the image of the Joker. Bruce Wayne slips away, and soon he is at the Batcave. Alfred's research reveals a recent plot of land in New Jersey was bought by a Mr. Harlan Quinn. Hmm. That's all Batman needs to jump into the Batmobile and investigate. At the recently purloined plot of land, Batman discovers some explosives have been planted there. But before he can do anything else, the Joker surprises him and fires a tranquilizer dart into his chest, knocking him out. The next morning, Batman wakes up strapped to a cliff face. The Joker, aghast that Gotham Central be raised to put up a monument to some other lesser Gothamites, has decided to create a monument to himself. When the explosives go off, the cliff face will be transformed into the Joker's face, Mount Rushmore style, looming all looming over all of Gotham from across the river forever. Batman dying in the process is just a delightful bonus. While the Joker prattles on, Batman slices one of the ropes and grab, grabs a remote control from his utility belt. Not noticing, Joker presses the detonate button only to see nothing happen. 
Turns out Batman was, of course, one step ahead of the Joker and packed a transmitter with which he used to block the frequency. The Joker's goons attack, and as Batman fights them off, he grabs his crossbow and fires. Instead of hitting Batman with a lethal blow, his arrow strikes the transmitter, causing the explosion. As everyone falls into the water below, Batman grabs the Joker, who is delighted to see his face 50 feet high. But then it's Batman's turn to smile for when the Joker's face crumbles into dust. Batman surmises that his jammer altered the delicate timings the Joker had planned, causing the formation to be unstable, giving Batman the last laugh after all. All right, Chris, what did you think of this story? Oh, it's it's just really fun. And, you know, this is this is nothing against the story. I don't want anybody to take this wrong, but if you took out the subplots and, um, you know, the Vicky Vale, Arthur Reeves sub- subplots, this could have very easily been one of the many comics that came in the superpowers figures. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's got that feel. Uh, JLGL didn't, I don't think he actually drew any of the interior art for those, but it, a lot of it looked like his style because they were trying to, you know, stay, uh, stay in that style. And because that was, was on the packaging of the superpowers mm-hmm. figures. Uh, so this just, I mean, it even feels like that. I mean, the, uh, the joke, the Joker hoisted on his own petard, and you know, at the end, and and I mean, it just, it's, it's totally, it's, it's, it could totally work as one of those. I mean, that that just struck me this time reading it, but it's, it's so fun, and it's, it's, uh, I, I love the, I love the fact that they, that Conway works in. It, it was a fairly new thing to do was to have the Joker uh, creatively get rid of one of his henchmen. Uh, because Englehart and Rogers had him throw a guy in front of a dump truck, and then Lynn, <laughs> Lynn Ween himself, who's the editor here, uh, he had the you know the Joker use his bang flag and and shoot the guy you know with the bang flag, and so now it's a it's a snake up the Joker's sleeve. Which I, did, did the Joker just like walk around with the snake up his sleeve? <laughs> it doesn't just, seem like a great idea. No, and I mean it is the Joker though. So if it was any other villain, I'd say, man, that's crazy, but. It's the Joker, so yep. uh, yeah, it's it's just this is so uh, so much fun, and it's it's just of course gorgeous to look at too. Oh, completely, yeah. I mean, when I read this comic again, I hadn't read it in several years. I mean, I knew it pretty well because, like I said, it was a mountain comic. I remember buying it off the stands at the time. You know, I mean, again, I bought Batman pretty regularly anyway. Um, but it, when I when I read this, it's and I. It's like, I don't know, I don't really read modern comics anymore, so I don't, you know, I'm kind of, like, disconnected from that world of, like, what modern readers want. But I read something like this, and I go, like I said about the cover, like, what else do you want out of a Batman comic? I mean, really, I mean, it's got the subplots that they're, you know, that Conway is working on through issue to issue. You've got the whole stuff with Arthur Reeves uh, and that whole political subplot and the thing with Vicki Vale. But basically, it's like, this is just a great, story beautifully drawn and you've got a bunch of classic moments in it you've got this great we already talked about the cover you've got this awesome splash page mm-hmm. of of the joker with his crossbow and he's got these sort of posters of batman and he's sinking the darts into him and you've got the title and then you've got jail and you've got the, you know the, again, gorgeous layouts by jlgl you have this great shot of the joker standing astride the page as all the other panels are kind of on the on the right hand side of the screen as you mentioned the bit with craps is just classic joker you know and i love the idea that like i love that everyone is like (laughs) you know the joker's in the room and he's like i don't care and then there's even like a double blind because the joker shoots craps with uh from uh, water from his from his flower lapel and of course 
Craps immediately probably thinks that's going to be acid. And then he's rubbing his face and he's like, oh, okay, you didn't. Okay, good joke, boss. You know, and then the Joker's like gets the double whammy of the snake. And that panel uh, of the Joker grinning as the snake is plunging its fangs into Craps's wrist is just fantastic. I mean, you're just, it's absolutely marvelous. And then we see the panel again of him when he's got that, that rictus on his face. I mean, so it's like, this is, this is what the, to me, this is the Joker, not the Joker that cuts his own face off and stuff like that. Like, I mean, this is the Joker. He is a homicidal maniac, but he's also, you know, incredibly theatrical. And I also kind of love that, like, you know, he's like, uh, this plan will get rid of Batman this time. And you're like, well, no, it's not. We all know. know? And these poor goons, they know it too. But what are you going to do? You know, I mean, they don't want to end up like crap. So just this opening volley is just to me it sets everything up and you're like oh this is this is just a blast it's it's classic joke yeah I, I don't mean to jump into the you know the old man you know yelling on his lawn yeah. at clouds but this story this story alone when the the whole thing with the joker like asking to have his face cut off and all that junk in the comics that that was such the joker is such a raging egomaniac he is such a he's so in love with his brand with his face I mean, this is what the Joker does. You know, it's like he wouldn't take that away. That's his, I mean, you know, that that does, that didn't make a lick of sense. Uh, and that's that's what aggravates me is like, you know, <laughs> with, you know, writers who like, well, I want to bend the character in this direction because that's the story I want to write. Well, go write it about another character or, in, mm-hmm. or invent your own character because that the Joker has been established to be a raging, vain egomaniac and Batman has used that against him countless times over the years and this this story being like the absolute uh, the absolute example of of that and something occurred to me i didn't even jot this down in my notes but do you think possibly when you said mount rushmore do you think possibly the phantom zoners uh turning mount rushmore into uh (laughs) their portraits in superman 2 maybe influence this story you know, I hadn't even thought of that, but why? Why not? Why? Why wouldn't it be? That makes a lot of sense. It that was just a year, a year earlier. earlier. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I yeah. could see Conway looking at that and saying, "Yeah, I could see that." Because yeah, the Joker. I mean, again, look how the Joker dresses. He dresses like a dandy with yeah. the, the, the spats and the t- and the tails. I mean, he yeah, he is a very even though even though he's horrible looking, he is very vain. And yeah. again, the story will you know underscore that. But yeah, it's, it's yeah, we don't. It, it's just I look at this and I'm like. To me, this is what the Joker is. Now, again, the, the character's been around 80 years. He yeah. changes, and it's just because that my interpretation of it doesn't mean others are incorrect. But I look at this, and I'm just like, to me, this is the perfect middle ground of he's threatening, he's scary, but he's not, I don't know, he's, he's not like going too, they're not going too, they're not bending him too far over in the other direction. He's not a clown yeah. where he's not scary at all. Like he was kind of in the sixties, you know, the, the <laughs> Hacienda or whatever, but yeah. nevertheless, it's just, so again, and of course it's all perfectly drawn by JLGL. I mean, this is just and inked by Dan Atkins. I mean, this stuff is just on point. Um, the next scene where Batman chases after this guy, Arthur Reeves. Uh, I love when, uh, when Batman is standing on top of the, uh, the, 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 the balcony, and uh, he's like, hello, Reeves. And Reeves starts to run. And I love, like, the super pose Batman does with his arm out. Yeah. His batarang. I mean, like, talk about even even, even in these tiny little things uh, where Batman is, is very small on the panel, JLGL is still delivering these iconic poses. Like, look at, I mean, if you blew that up and asked him to redraw it and put in a little more detail, 
that's a stock image right there. Yeah, that's a Batman black and white statue. That's yeah, yes, the JLGL Batman black and white statue right there. If you yeah, blew that up, yeah, I mean it's it's fantastic. beautiful. Yeah, and Arthur Reeves, you know he he's the guy that Batman famously spooks in the uh, in the the Return of Two Face story that O'Neill and Adams did. Oh, really? Uh, back in the yeah, back in the seventies, and uh, uh, when they brought Two Face back, and uh, he's also. Uh, he's in this storyline, and he is the character voiced by Hart Bachner of Die Hard and Supergirl fame. Oh wow! Okay. Uh, that uh, that is in the um, that's in Mask of the Phantasm. Uh, he's the one that well, you know, when the Joker gives him the poison, and Batman comes to visit him in the hospital, and he's like, "Oh, oh no!" You know that oh, guy. Wow, I didn't that's, remember that. Jeez. That's that character. Yeah, he looks different there, but that's the same. That's the same character. Yeah. So oh, that's poor, really cool. Poor Arthur Reeves, that guy. I mean, he's a, he's a weasel, but man, he's <laughs> in, in like every iteration of Batman. This guy's always just the uh, getting schooled. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's getting schooled. I mean, and it always it kind of got to me. I think I think I remember as a kid being kind of surprised. It's like, wow, Batman kidnapped this guy. You know, like, <laughs> this isn't Adam West. You know, Adam West wouldn't kidnap. Some guy, you know, and bring him into. I mean, you know, Batman did take people into the Batcave and you know blindfold them or gave them Batwink and Bat sleep and then Batwake and and all that stuff. But um, you know, now he's got him down in the Batcave and and there's Robin and non Commissioner Gordon because he's you know been let go. This was mm-hmm. during one of the times. So Batman's basically an outlaw again at this mm-hmm. point in the comics. And Conway uh, was really. Uh, he, he, you know, of course we've got boss Rupert Thorne. He had really, um, Lynn Wien had done this some because he came, he took over detective right after, um, Englehart left. And then they shifted those stories over to Batman, but, uh, both him and Conway really kind of continued that kind of feel with those subplots. But, uh, Conway doubled down on bringing back Thorne and, and he also brought in like Englehart and Rogers had done. He brought in, uh, more golden age uh, villains that had right, uh, right. not been around for decades, like the monk, the, the vampire storyline yeah. and the dirigible of doom and <laughs> <laughs> all sorts of stuff like that. So uh, it was a great time. I love the, I love this era of, of Batman. And of course, you know, uh, we'll get to that in our second story, but you know, we're, we're fast approaching the, the end of Dick Grayson's time as Robin, but they had brought Robin back full time in the comics. So that's why Robin's, just here in the Batcave, you know, I mean, it's yep. after like 10 years of Robin being off, he's, he was, I think he switched to Gotham university and he was going to college there at this point. So, uh, but yeah, it, it's, uh, it, there's a whole lot of, uh, fun stuff, lots of subplots and, you know, building up, they introduced Hamilton Hill, who of course was the mayor on Batman, the animated series as well. Mm-hmm. So very fertile ground here in this uh, run. <laughs> Absolutely. I love Batman again, taking in Reeves. And then when he wakes up, he's just surrounded in darkness and he does all he sees is the Batman shadow and he confesses. And then Batman being very theatrical has Robin hit the lights and yeah. all of a sudden the floods go on and you know, boom, boom. And then he looks and he realizes where he is. I also love that Robin does not even get a line of dialogue. In this yeah. page, <laughs> he turns the lights on. Batman tells him, Robin, get him out of here. And then we see Robin marching, frog marching Reeves into the Batmobile. But that's it. I love that Robin can be used like that. I mean, he again, in the second story, he'll be you know prominent. But I kind of like that in this, he's just, every you know, you know who he is, obviously. And I love that they don't, he's just like, okay, just march him out. All right, great. And then we move on to the next thing. Uh, yeah. Great. 
Um, So then the next morning, there's the scene with Vicki Vale, who, of course, at the time was in the comic. Um, And I, again, you know, we can't help but we go on and on and on about JLGL. But man, like this this sequence where uh, Vicky is looking distracted and she's not really paying attention to Bruce and Bruce is kind of wondering what's wrong. And then we get there's a flashback because we see that Vicky's boss was shot and she's concerned about that. Even something as boring as the Vicky Vale flashback subplot, GLGL <laughs> manages to give it this amazing visual life with this very interesting layout for the flashback. Uh, I'll mm-hmm. put this page up on the, on the website. But I mean, it's all in uh, monochrome, uh, and we see the. But just look at the effort that he put into those panels when he could have really done it a lot easier than that. But he gives it such visual interest, and I don't know. I think a lot of other artists would have just been like, "Ah, this is boring to draw." But no, this thing looks so dynamic, even though it's ostensibly just like a little cutaway to one of the like least interesting characters in the Batman books. Yeah, it's 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 kind of interesting because it, it is it's such a it, the the layout is very unique and <clears throat> very dynamic, but it still evokes like snapshots because mm-hmm. we see Vicky holding her camera, and of course, Vicky is a photojournalist, um, you know. And uh, I, I think she took some pictures in Corto Maltese. I remember, uh, that's <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, dangerous so, work. Yeah, yes, yeah, dangerous work. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, but it's it's great, and I love the like the panel where Vicky reacts to the bang, and her head's like actually outside the panel. That's mm-hmm. a nice way to you know to focus in on her. I mean, it's just it's just expertly done. I mean, there's no two ways about it. It's and like you said, it could be boring, but it's it's so exciting, and it also doesn't take up much space because this isn't a very long story mm-hmm. because they do have a backup in this comic. Uh, so you know, and of course, unfortunately. The reason we didn't get more JLGL uh, interior artwork was because he what worked fairly slow, you know, uh, and that's why he didn't, you know, do a lot of. I mean, he did he did some. I guess he the 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 you know he did sporadic uh, runs on uh, Superman and Batman. He did DC Comics Presents for a while, and then he did a run on New Teen Titans after Perez left. But it was still a fairly short run, you know. Yep. Uh, so yeah, it's, you know, he, I guess having a short page count probably is one reason he, uh, took this assignment and he had actually drawn two back-to-back issues of Batman the year before, but he didn't get to draw the covers. Jim Aparo drew the covers, although, Hey, it's Jim Aparo and Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. (laughs) How much better does any given comic book get at that point? Right, right. And of course, around this time he drew your, in your wheelhouse, Rob, he drew the, the Batman versus Hulk treasury that's right so with the joker and he had you know that's another thing we should mention he he, one of his earliest assignments at dc was the joker uh ongoing series and he drew several issues of that and so he just he kind of became like the joker is in a way like and he drew a dc comics presents that had the joker in it so the joker's like you know kind of one of his signature characters and i guess that's one reason why he drew one of the the covers to the uh, well, he drew the cover to the uh, the Joker, the the collection of the Joker ongoing series recently. So, oh, did he really? He, oh, okay. He just kind of identified with the Joker, so this this all makes perfect sense. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, it's it's just gorgeous. Uh, I love that when the Joker's face comes up on the computer screens for the demolition guys. They don't they don't get into it, but you have to wonder like these demolition guys are like. Uh, you know, like, it's just like 
I'm just trying to do my job, and now Batman's nonsense has got to get like you know what I mean. Like you're just trying to like get your work done. Like they've been they've been assigned to blow up the Gotham Gotham Central Station, and like we can't get it done because oh great, oh uh, now now imagine how tough it is to get anything done in like a major metropolitan city, and then factor in that they've got supervillains that are constantly messing with things. You're just like, oh, we got to do this all over. All right. Okay. You got to imagine there's a pool somewhere. They got they got a pool where they're like, hey, Bobby, what do you think it's going to be this time? We're going to see a riddle. We're going to see a fiction mark. Uh, or maybe the number two comes up. Or is it going to be a playing card? A cat, maybe? I don't know. You know? It's like- <laughs> I love that idea. Yeah, they're all like taking bets. It's like, and there's one guy who's like, I'll give you 50 to one. It's Tweedledum and Tweedledee. Like, it's not going to be Tweedledum and Tweedledee. <laughs> Come it's on. the Cavalier. Who yeah, knows going to be the Cavalier? The Cavalier is two hundred to one, but if it pays off, man, you are you are in like Flynn. <laughs> oh, that's 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 that needs to be written. That's got to be in a comic somewhere, right? Where you've got regular Gotham people having to like lay odds on what villain is going to show up next. That's that that goes right along with Bruce Wayne should have used his money to tear down everything that had to do with the number two. <laughs> yeah. Had to do with clowns and birds, parks, birds, cats, <laughs> uh, anything that could have been like a target or a, hi- a hideout for any, any of his robes gallery. Yeah. How many abandoned amusement parks can one city possibly? <laughs> Again, another little great detail that JLGL throws in is the, is that same panel where the Joker's face shows up on the computer screen. And you've got Batman, uh, Bruce Wayne, where he's like, uh, he's like, oh, that's the sign of the Joker. And we see he's in the crowd, and he's already starting to turn away as if he's headed out of the room. Yep. And I love that the news reporter, who we see in an earlier panel, notices that. Yeah. And that's it. It's, there's nothing else to it. There's, but just that there's someone in the room who notices Bruce Wayne is departing clearly very quickly. I just love that little detail, that there's yeah. this woman's like, oh, geez, Bruce Wayne's hot footing it out of here i love he's the richest man in the city of course so there you know the news media is always going to be watching to see what bruce wayne says or does you know and so that makes sense and and bruce has got kind of long hair here did you notice that i thought that myself yeah yeah he's he's got he's you know it's like uh he's he's looking he's looking a little uh uh, Pierce Brosnan, Remington Steel era, right here in in this uh, in in panel three on this page. It, yeah, you know, it makes sense. You know, it's the yeah. early eighties. He would have longer hair, probably. <laughs> so, so, uh, so then it said Alfred. Uh, he talks to Alfred, and Alfred, of course, comes up with the Mister Harlan Quinn, which you're like, all right, Joe, you're not even <laughs> trying at this point. Uh, and then Batman heads over to New Jersey. Uh, hopefully, he brought a lot of money to pay the tolls to get into New Jersey because you have to, like, you know, as as George Carlin once said. Uh, you can't back out of your driveway in New Jersey without some schmuck in a hat once 50 cents, which is <laughs> just pretty accurate. So Batman makes it over to the Palisades, which, of course, uh, Alan Brennard, the great Alan Brennard, wrote about uh, yeah. in his novel, Palisades Park. He grew up there as one of his most beloved childhood haunts with the Palisades Park. So Batman makes it over, discovers the uh, explosives. The Joker gets the drop on him by hitting him with the uh, knockout darts, and then he wakes up. And then we're getting to sort of the you know, the big, big, big third act finale is Batman being strapped to this cliff face, which again is a cl- just classic death trap. Oh yeah. Yeah. This is, fantastic. Th- this is a definitely a, a great, a great death trap. And, and uh, I don't know if they would have had the budget to pull this off on the sixties Batman show. Cause they would have had to do a lot of uh, exterior filming and, you know, I don't know, but uh, uh, it's, 
one thing I, I did notice, though, you think Batman has to go to New Jersey here. So in this story, Gotham is definitely not in New Jersey. Right, they, Gotham I, City was always supposed to be in New Jersey, but it clearly is not here. Right, right. so we have to tell our buddy Paul Kupperberg, at least in this story, he was wrong. In the DC Atlas, <laughs> <laughs> it's not in New Jersey in this story. Nope. You know, one thing we didn't point out is that it is kind of unique, the Joker is using um, a, a crossbow in this story, which is something I don't think we've seen him use before or ever again. And they do kind of they do kind of point out at the beginning when he's doing the target practice that maybe this is kind of a new thing for the Joker. Mm-hmm. They don't like telegraph it, but you know it's like. But I guess they got to mix it up. You know, sometimes the Joker uses a, a crossbow. Sometimes it's a gimmicked uh, version of his own utility belt, and then you know we'll later see in a story that you helped write, Rob. He goes to using a crowbar. Uh, so <laughs> I, was, I was like, where are you going with this? And I helped to write. Okay. There we go. Yes. I, I, again, I do it again. If I had to, uh, I'm glad that you mentioned the sixties TV series. Cause I actually had that in my notes. If you removed the scene where Batman, if you removed the subplots, you know, the stuff with Reeves, obviously budget wise, they, it was beyond this, this plot, this really could have been done as a sixth and an episode of the TV series. And you can totally see the Cesar Romero Joker wanting that's it. This is a grandiose um, over the top plot that would totally fit with the Cesar Romero version of the Joker. Yep. Yep. He'd have to have a little extra dynamite to get the mustache in. Yeah. Right. But, uh, <laughs> exactly. On the monument. But yeah, uh, yeah I mean, it, it works. You can, you can read this story and other than Batman kidnapped Reeves, you can hear Adam West or, you know, you can, of course, hear uh, Mark Hamill and Kevin Conroy, of course. Oh, totally. Yeah. And because, totally. you know, that that's one thing about, you know, Mark Hamill's Joker definitely rode this line between the homicidal clown and then the 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 grandiose prankster, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, uh, you know, dev- I mean, even at the very in the first page when he's got that, uh, the Joker has that dialogue and it's in that. It's in that dripping, that that almost like a horror word balloon hmm. when he's like threatening Batman as he's pointing at it. You know, it's like, consider this a friendly warning, detective. You know, you can just oh, hear. Yes. You can, you can hear Mark Hamill when he gets that low voice like that. And then, you know, <laughs> and then when he gets into the, you know, then you can hear him like, you know, cackling like mad in the, in the funny parts, too. So it, it totally works. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, so Batman manages to uh, shred one of the ropes by you know dragging it against the, the, the jagged cliff face. I'm a sucker for that. The whole like uh, ticking clock uh, mm-hmm. thing where, you know, the explosion's about to go off and Batman's got to do it. The hero's got to do this other thing while the clock is ticking. They don't do an actual uh, tick, tick, tick thing. But nevertheless, you get the tension of it that we see the Joker is preparing to set off these explosions and Batman's got to free himself. And then, of course, <laughs> Joker sends off his goons, you know, like that's going to do anything. Uh, Batman takes care of like, what, like one, two, three, like six guys all at the same time. Yeah. And there's this big um, open page where he's taking, and they're on a cliff edge and there's clearly one of them Batman has just thrown off off the edge of the cliff clearly yeah, right yeah. i mean there's no other way that guy is landing any other place than the bottom of the ravine <laughs> yeah i guess it was probably one of those cases where they they'd show him like it was the animated series they'd show him fall into the the the, the water below it's water and he, yeah he'd pop back up yeah, yeah. It's, of course he'd probably be killed on the rocks below yeah. but that's okay. <laughs> 
exactly. you know, it's like the, the animated series where had people falling out of blimps and landing in, <laughs> in trees on top of buildings and they survived because they couldn't kill anybody, you know? So, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> uh, so then the Joker, again, he sets off the explosion. Batman, I love that uh, Batman grabs him out of the water and he's like, drowning's too easy, which is great. Yeah. Uh, and then we get the final, and then, the, you know, the, what a wonderful final page because it's a double switcheroo and that, oh, hey, wow, Joker, this plan, Joker's plan worked, but it didn't work and that Batman is still alive. But geez, he did create this Joker face uh, that everyone across the river is going to have to look at, which again, I, that's a wonderful detail. That the whole reason he's doing it is just to lord it over all of Gotham in perpetuity, which is, you know, every morning Gotham's going to wake up and look over the river and see his stupid face. That's such a great detail. Yeah, yeah, and I, I it, it's, it, and I love the image of the Joker's face, and then the panel where Batman is showing him, like, look, look what's <laughs> happening, right. Joker. The look so, on Batman's face is just—he's like, so he, happy. It almost the the way he's making that face almost looks like Lee Majors as Batman because he's got that one eye up and one, you know, he's got one eye like wide open and one squinting. It's just you know, it just he's got that. It's like the fall guy as Batman in this picture, but it, it just looks. And the Joker's face is just like what? <laughs> Batman's enjoying his work in this moment. I like I like that. I those two panels. All three panels of the the top one where he looks like, look again, Joker. And then the other one where he's gritting his teeth and smiling. And then the bottom one where he's genuinely happy. Yeah. You know, I I guess I've got the last level. Like, again, I don't mean to become old man uh, yelling at clouds, but it's like, I, I like Batman as the grim Avenger of the night, but not sociopathic Batman. Right. Where he just hates everything and everybody. I like that he can kind of, like enjoy his work a little bit that he's just like aha joker mahaha it's really funny and it's a great way to end the the story yeah i, I mean i will you know and, and i and people can say well it's because that you were a kid when you read those but I, I really do think that this around this era of the comics was kind of the ultimate versions of the characters because the comic storytelling had matured enough that you got you got more character development you got subplots you you know the 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 side characters got their own stories everyone was very well fleshed out but it wasn't so far into you know mature storytelling that honestly these characters are too ridiculous to take <laughs> a certain amount of realism applied yes, to them you know i mean it, it, you t- you go into a direction it's just like okay that that's too it's too realistic for this this far gone of a, a concept, you know, I mean, it, 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 it so I, I really do feel like the, this era, you know, the late, the late seventies into the early eighties and, and honestly, honestly, pre-crisis into the crisis a little, but I mean, you know, it's like when you get into, you know, as much as I, much as their masterpieces, Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen, I mean, it, it you know, everybody wanted to, Let's do that. I mean, as as one-offs, they were great, but when everybody decided, well, that's how we need to approach comic storytelling from now on, then, you know, to me, it's like the the wheels start falling off, you know? So, uh, you know, and I know we're way going way off the, the, the but but the, this kind of story is, is, shows me that, like, this is kind of where the characters, this is like the ultimate, the, the, the level that they should have, they should remain at, you know, to, a, to, to my notion. That's one reason why I like the animated stuff so much because it is definitely has a feel of, of this era in a lot yeah. of ways. 
yeah, yeah, Batman. Batman here is a distinct character from other superheroes. You know, he's darker, he's grimmer, he's scarier, but he's not. He's not like a, he's not threatening to an innocent person. The whole line, right? But you know, the innocent don't fear Batman. That kind of thing. And that's what I like about it. Um, yeah. I mean, again, you can't apply realism because Batman would have just drowned the Joker because if he hadn't, more people are going to die. Whoever, whoever, whenever Joker breaks out the next time, he's going to kill a bunch of people, and that's on Batman because he could just drown the Joker at this point. You're just right. doing you everybody. Just hold him underwater long yeah. enough and say, "Oh, I Oops. couldn't save him. Whoops, yeah. I didn't save Sorry. him." Sorry, uh, yeah. Butterfingers. <laughs> I don't know. All right, Let's, I guess Penguin's the number one villain now. So <laughs> anyway, it's it's just I, to me, this story is just perfect. It doesn't run on too long. Uh, Conway, I mean, we've been waxing jail, jail's car, but J- Jerry Conway just delivers an absolutely perfectly paced story full of great moments. It's got some subplots that you can move on to later stories, but man, this is just a great one and done all the way around. I mean, it's just to me, it's, it's like, I, can only, I, I don't remember what I thought when I bought this comic. And read it. I must have just loved it because it's like this is just this is just Batman. This is <laughs> this is what I want out of a Batman comic. So it just yep. almost. And then there's another story on top of it. If that yeah. wasn't good enough, there's a backup story. And this one features Batman and Robin because, as we said, Robin didn't get much to do in the previous story. So this the second story is called The Sting, Batman style. It's by Mike W. Barr, Don Newton, Woo-hoo! Dennis Jensen. So we've got Jail Jail and Don Newton in one issue. Of Batman again. Talk about <laughs> embarrassment of riches. Yeah. How much else do you need, kids? So okay, so this story it starts with Robin the Boy Wonder on the back of a truck using his celebrity to raise money for the Gotham Boys League. Robin's appeal helps raise fifty thousand dollars in a single day, making the two men in charge, Burns and Sinclair, very happy. Robin heads home and goes to sleep. When he wakes up, though, he is horrified to hear the radio news that the Gotham Boys League has been robbed. Bruce is there and offers Batman's assistance, but Robin feels like he can handle this on his own. Bruce tells Dick that he did some research and learned that Burns and Sinclair are two con men with records as long as the previous story synopsis. Dick, (laughs) embarrassed, realizes he didn't do the proper legwork on the two men and resolves to fix this mistake on his own. No help from Batman needed. Dick suits up as Robin and takes off, but Bruce decides to help out anyway, but not as Batman. Soon, Robin has arrived at the Gotham Arms, where Burns and Sinclair are hiding out. Robin throws a gas bomb, hoping a fake fire will drive them out with the cash. But after Robin trips on some water released by the sprinkler system, he has to hide when some firemen arrive. At the same moment, Burns and Sinclair are visited by the known Gotham crook, Matches Malone, who tells the two he knows they are con men. He makes them an offer involving bonds, which will be worth double what he's selling them for in six months. Burns and Sinclair make the deal, and the three agree to meet again the next night. Later that night, Bruce asks Dick to take the nightly patrol because he has JLA satellite duty. Dick agrees, and both men are happy, thinking they have gotten rid of the other for the night. Later, Bruce, dressed as matches, and Dick uses a padded suit to fill out a Batman costume. Batman then stumbles upon the three men, not immediately realizing who Matches is. Dick lays the Batman act on thick, and Bruce is worried Dick will ruin the whole plan. Matches then steps forward, and Dick realizes who he is. Matches then takes down Batman, impressing Burns and Sinclair to no end. They take the bonds and hightail it out of Gotham. Dick wakes up and apologizes to Bruce for messing up his plan. But Bruce isn't angry, only offering a dramatic critique of Dick's performance. Meanwhile, outside Gotham, Burns and Sinclair listen on the radio that the missing money has been recovered. But that's okay by them, since they traded the money for the bonds, which are much more valuable, right? Burns opens the case to find that instead of bonds, it is filled with pieces of yellow paper with bats on them. 
Not knowing how they got swindled or even really caring, they resolved to never visit Gotham again. All right, Chris, what do you think of this little backup tale? Oh, it's it's a lot of fun. It's it's another fun story. I mean, I I, I do have some questions about like you know why didn't Batman put a tracer in that uh, in that in that <laughs> in that case full of money or you know fake bonds and and that way he could like at least because these guys get away. You know, I mean, I know they're never coming back to Gotham, but they're going to pull this somewhere else. But maybe I, he other- could call a hero in the next town over and have him have them arrest them. Like you know, hey, Metamorpho, when that guy's <laughs> when these two come into your town, pick those two guys up because they're criminals. Right, maybe so. I mean, we did. I mean, we you know we do get a reference for JLA monitor duty, which is I love is, that. I love yeah. that little throwaway line Mike Barr throws in. Yeah, that was great. I I, I got to say, I love the beginning of it because uh, I you know that Eagle Moss Company put out all those Batman vehicles with the like it came with a magazine and I don't know if you've seen those, but they there was a subscription and I, I didn't end up subscribing to it because it was just it's just too much. But <laughs> my comic shop's got a bunch of those in, and I've picked up a few, but. It comes with a magazine detailing every vehicle that was ever in any Batman comic, no matter how Holy, obscure. Really? Yes, yes. I've got the the one-off Robin uh, mobile that uh, looks like the uh, 1950s Dick Sprang Batmobile, the big bubble-topped, you know, oh, man. Batmobile. So I'm hoping that somebody did this truck that did this <laughs> with the big rock, R in the back, the big R on the back, this red truck with yellow flags and Robin standing in the back, help Robin fight juvenile delinquency, give to the Gotham boys league. I hope somebody did a, a diecast version of this. If they didn't, they should have, <laughs> but yeah, I, I love this. I love the fact that this is still, you know, we're still in that era where Batman and Robin make public appearances. You know, they're not <laughs> ur- urban myths and all that yeah, garbage. I you know, that. I hated that. So much. I did too. It's so ridiculous <laughs> in the DC universe. It makes absolutely no sense, but uh, so yeah, I, I love it. And this is, you know, this, this story feels like it feels like um the the Robin backup stories that were in, uh, you know, detective and Batman family. It feels like a natural extension of those uh, because, you know, Robin's kind of, you know, Robin would goof up quite a bit in those and then kind of try to, he'd usually figure it out on his own. Batman weren't in those stories, wasn't in those stories. But uh, one thing I will say though, is it's it, the, you know, they were treating Robin this way over in the Batman book, still like the junior partner, but uh, you know, Wolfman and Perez were, kind of treating him more as like the 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 young man out on his own in New Teen Titans. So eventually they'd have to come to a agreement on what to do with Robin. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, if you're a rock, okay, look, I mean, obviously by the end of the story, it's meant to be lighthearted. This is meant yeah. to be a lighthearted adventure. So you can't take it too seriously. That said, if you're a fan of Robin, if you're like a Robin number one fan, this story does kind of make him look like a doofus that <laughs> like, he raises money to these two guys who, as drawn by Don Newton, are clearly crooked because they just oh, look yeah. crooked the way he draws them. They yeah. look like, you know, but like he didn't even do any research. Like he just, these two guys were like, yeah, we run the Gotham Boys League. Give us the 50 grand. And Robin's like, okay. Like, like didn't even, like, can, can we get some paperwork? Like, how do we know? You know, that is kind of like, this guy runs the Teen Titans. Like, yeah. that's how, you know, that was kind of clumsy. But again, the story is not meant to be taken that seriously it's meant to just be kind of a humorous batman and robin interacting and a lot filling in uh, with matches malone is kind of you know it's fun to see batman in in his identity um one detail i think was funny and you know i don't i i don't ever like doing the whole like making jokes about the batman and robin or or, you know have romantic relationship because that's just silly and it's a very tired trope that said 
I do find it funny that on page uh, five, when Don Newton draws Bruce and Dick having a dinner together, it looks like a romantic dinner because it's like in complete darkness and there's candles. Like it yeah. looks like a romantic dinner. It doesn't look like the dinner you would have with family in a well-lit room. It looks like a dinner you would have in like a darkened restaurant. I was like, what a, what an interesting way to draw it, Don. Yeah, I am totally not. I, that was never <laughs> the intention of the creators. And no, it, of course. Not. And, and plus it's problematic because Robin was a child, you know, of course. Uh, when when Batman uh, uh, you know took him in, so that's you know he's not a child here, but it still it still would be very problematic because he took him in as his child, uh, you know, as his charge. Uh, but yeah, it, it does. I mean, in Bruce's guy, I mean it, you know, it, it, the shirt Dick's got on is a little effeminate, honestly, and and Bruce has got like this you know ribbed uh, turtleneck on, and it's it's very like. <laughs> You know, it, yeah, it's it's a little suspect to be honest with you. Can't yeah, just have it, it in the main dining hall. Like, why does it have to be? Yeah, and we know that the table that if he's sitting, on, you know, from the Batman movie that he should be sitting like four miles away, like Vicky <laughs> Vale, right? I mean, like we, right we keep bringing we keep yeah. bringing that up, but uh, but oh, yeah, but it's just it's, a funny little detail. It is like a that. funny little detail. I do like speaking of details. I like how Don Newton draws matches Malone. He looks humongous in that suit. You know, mm-hmm. in that he's a because Batman is a big frame guy, and one thing yep. Don Newton was really great about was he was a really, really adept at drawing musculature and and body types. I mean, none of these guys have the same body type. I mean, right. Sinclair and Burns, you know, don't have. They all look different. They all have different faces, and and Bruce mm-hmm. and Dick look like two totally different people, even though they got the same hair color and the same haircut. Right. You know, but Newton was a bodybuilder, right? In, in his, in his, like as a hobby, he, that was, something he was he, a well-built guy. Yeah. I, he, because he cosplayed, um, uh, there's images of him cosplaying before he made it pro as Captain Marvel. Oh, as oh wow. Okay. And oh man, that dude looks just like, he's a great looking Captain Marvel. I mean, uh, he, you know, when he was doing all the, the, the fanzine art and, uh, back, you know, blowing people's minds with his fanzine art before Charlton said, Hey, you know, draw mm-hmm. the Phantom, you know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, he's, he was a well-built guy. Yeah. So, uh, I think that might've had something to do with it. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I love the fact that, you know, his Robin is one of those characters, you know, he, he, well, he's one of those artists who drew Robin to look like he looks great in the costume, but it's also like, okay, it's time for Dick to move on from this costume because it, mm-hmm. he looks like it's a, he's most definitely a grown man. Yes. His, his, yeah. his sleeves even seem like they're too tight. You mm-hmm. know, it's like, and him and George Perez, you know, he was drawing a lot of Robin in Batman and detective around this time. George Perez was drawing Robin over in uh, new teen Titans, obviously. And they were basically robbing the man wonder at this point, you know. Uh, and it is definitely, we're definitely heading toward Nightwing territory. Uh, although, like you said, this story would actually work better if this was a flashback to when Dick was like, say, 16 or something. Yes. Yeah. Like, like yeah. a teenage, like a, I know he was really older, but a Burt Ward era Robin, like when he's supposed to be about 16 or something. Yeah. Not 19 yeah. year old college, new Teen Titans leading. <laughs> yeah. I went to Tamaran. And uh, liberated it, uh, Dick Grayson <laughs> Robin. You know, uh, <laughs> I'm going to take on Triton soon, like this demon. I, I can handle that, but I can't figure out that these two guys are crooked. You know, I right. can't. I can't figure that out. 
Uh, yeah, uh, it, <laughs> you're right. This would work better as a flashback, but of course, Mike W. Barr only has like nine pages to work with, so he's right. kind of does it. I also love the detail of that when Bruce dresses up, uh, excuse me, Dick dresses up as Batman, that when someone else wears the Batman costume, it's not terribly imposing. Like, I kind of like that. I like that yeah. where he's posing in front of the mirror and the cape looks all droopy. Kind of, He kind of looks like the movie serial Batman. Like, he doesn't look scary. <laughs> he does. Which I like that. I like that only Batman kind of can like fill the costume out in, in a really effective way. And then a great detail that um, letterer Todd Klein threw in is when Dick is pretending to be Batman and he's speaking very purple, purple prose, because he's like, the Batman is here to punish you for your wrongdoing. Return the money you stole or face my vengeance. And I love that Todd Klein like drew this like really thick word balloon with like these yeah. little scratchy lines about it, like to just to suggest that the like, dick is really doing the Batman voice. And it reminds me of that episode of Brave and the Bold where I can't remember the, the what the setup was, but it was like Green Arrow had to pretend to be Batman. Yeah. And Green Arrow was like, I am the Grim Avenger. And he's just way overdoing it. I love that idea that when other people imitate Batman, they overdo it. And Batman has to sit here and be like, oh boy, he's really going to town here. <laughs> I couldn't help but think it, it reminded me of how a lot of people pointed out how Christian Bale overdid Batman's voice in the Dark Knight. He he changed it from the way he did it in Batman Begins when it, you know, just so over. The Batman is here to punish you for your own doing. You know I mean, just, you know, it's just, that's just what it's come. You know, meanwhile, ba- Jesus Christ, Batman, what are you doing yes, over here? You know, meanwhile, Batman sounds like Kevin Conroy for real. You know, it's like, <laughs> but you know, he's like Dick's, like over here going. You know, it's going to need a throat lozenge by the time the night's <laughs> over, right? You know, so <laughs> I love it, and I love that that's that after the the suit deflates, which is great. I think that's really <laughs> yeah. funny. Yeah, I, I love that 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 Bruce's only you know comment is like. Uh, next time, Chum, uh, please work on your own dialogue. Your Batman is terrible. I love. I yeah, I like. You know, Batman can joke around. I like yeah. that. I like that. I, I love, love, love the fact that Mike W. Barr. No matter when he wrote Batman, if Robin was in the story, at least at one point he would call Robin Chum mm-hmm. because he in in Mike W. Barr, as me and Ryan pointed out in um, in, in in on Nightcast. Mike W. Barr could write a pretty dark Batman as far as he could do the whole Grim Avenger thing. But then when he turned around and was dealing with somebody, a friend or Robin or, or, or you know, or, uh, you know, uh, an informant that he was friends with, he was a nice, you know, he was a totally nice uh, guy, a cheery guy, but not, God, my God, he could use people as human shields uh, you know, in, yeah. in his stories. But, but I love the fact that, you know, no matter how grim he is, he'll call Robin old chum. So I love that little nod to Adam West and Burt Ward. And it's just, it's just part of, you know, it's just part of, it's just part of Batman's mythos that, you know, yep. Batman calls Robin old chum. And I, I, I just, uh, as a kid, I just love to see it. Cause I was like, Oh, it all ties together. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's really, it's really fun. And then the final panel where you've got the two guys, Sinclair and Byrne driving away, you've even got a shadow of, uh, you've got a bat shadow uh, in the formation of the clouds, oh, which is yeah. a nice little detail of just like, okay, you know, the, 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 the shadow of the bat looms over you guys. You guys think you got away with it and now you didn't. And they just, they just disappear. And it's just, it's a nice lighthearted story that frankly, I can't imagine them doing nowadays. I just no. think that people wouldn't accept that, but it's a great little eight page backup in the middle of the story, perfectly paced, 
Again, you get to see matches Malone and drawn by Don Newton. It's marvelous. So it's like, the, overall, like this is just such a solid issue of Batman. Oh yeah, it's 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 wonderful, and and Don Newton is so uh, you know it's it's such a shame he died so young. I, mm. I remember when it was announced in the Meanwhile column, Dick Giordano's Meanwhile column in the DC Comics that month that he passed away. I mean, it really hit me hard because mm. I was such a fan of him and um, his Batman work and his uh, Captain Marvel work, and I saw it in World's Finest. I knew he, I know he drew like maybe the last issue or so of the Shazam book before it got canceled. But, um, you know, and, and it was just, it was such a gut punch to me because I just loved his, I loved his work. And, and I really do feel like, you know, had he lived longer and continued, of course he'd moved on to infinity incorporated. He was, he was taking that over, uh, when he passed away. Uh, but I, I really feel like he would, his, his, uh, I, th- I feel like he would be, more well regarded than he is because I, I mean, if people that know him love his stuff, yep. But I, but I definitely think he's underrated for his talent. He had a and great I mean, run he, on Aquaman too. He had a great run on Aquaman as well. Yes, he did. And and he, I think you know, I mean, just imagine what a, I mean, God, imagine what a Justice League book would have looked like. Oh um, man, by, yeah. By Don Newton, I mean, he could have gone on to do so much. I mean, if he that he drew Superman just a few times, I mean. You know, if he could have, you know, stayed at DC, what he could have done, you know, and 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 I think he would, uh, you know, we might be uh, have a praise be his name for Don Newton as well, yeah. you know. So yep. <laughs> yeah, a good, yeah, a career really cut short, and it's 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 tragic, but yeah, the work he did was absolutely marvelous. I started, you know, I started to imagine like what other characters he could have done if he'd gone on. Like, you imagine like a Conan the Barbarian <laughs> drawn by Don Newton, oh <laughs> like what God. that would have looked like. I mean, it would have been amazing. It was just absolutely amazing. So. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he might have just stayed at DC his whole career because he was once once DC snatched him up from Charlton, uh, they kept him smart. Much like JLGL, they were smart enough to keep feeding him enough work to keep him in house. They knew they knew he was that good. Yeah, so like, we're not letting this guy. And same with Jim Apero too. All yeah. of them. They, they were like DC's like you guys are not getting away. So <laughs> right, he did a few things for Marvel, just a few, a handful of things for Marvel, but it was almost all DC after he. He came over and, and started doing Batman backups, oddly enough, and then he he became the de- artist in the Batman strips and detective, and and uh, yeah, it's uh, he, he's he's definitely one of my top top Batman artists. The the, the, the mount the mountain range of Mount Rushmore Batman artists <laughs> is uh, you know bringing up Mount Rushmore again. Yeah, Mount Rushmore again. It's me and you know Ryan always go back and forth on that, but Don Newton's definitely he's definitely on that mountain. So. <laughs> yeah, great great work and all together a marvelous comic and a, a, you know the kind of comic that i probably read a thousand times yeah uh, when i was up at the cabin because it was just it just delivers it's just so fun not super deep but it doesn't need to be it just delivers really classic superhero fun drawn by two top flight artists so um totally worth my 60 cents i'm sure i was thrilled when i got back to the cabin and, and read it <laughs> it was like oh my god this comic is so good so uh that's gonna do it for this kind of one-off episode of mount comics chris Thank you so much for doing with this, with doing this with me. I really appreciate it. Uh, why don't you tell people where they can find you here on our network? Uh, well, I'm all over the network. I do Superman Movie Minute with you, where we're currently oh, talking right. about Superman 3. Yeah, that's right. Oh, we do that, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, Cindy and I, my wife Cindy and I just wrapped up uh, JLU cast for uh, the, the, the time being. We're going to take a hiatus because we just wrapped up Justice League proper, the actual pre-unlimited series. Uh, there, so the the original two seasons, we just wrapped that up, and uh, we're heading into our fall 
House of Franklin style. House of oh, Franklin style yeah. series. Uh, so we're, <laughs> what would it sound like if Batman? House of Franklin style. I don't want to listen uh, to that show. It sounds pretty yeah. scary. No, no, sorry. Uh, uh, <laughs> but we're heading into that, our annual House of Franklin Sun series. So we're working, starting to work on that, and that's a lot of fun. So uh, hope everybody will check it out. If we cover, uh, you know, monster, scary monster movies and also comic stories where the superheroes meet those type of monsters, and, and we have fun with it every year. Now, this is like our eighth season or something. Wow. Like yeah. <laughs> I'm so looking forward to that. It's one of my favorite things that the – the fire and water network puts out there is your house of Frankenstein. And it always makes me a little sad because it means the end of summer <laughs> is here. If we've got house of Frankenstein, but you know, it's going to come anyway. So I'm very much looking forward to, to those episodes. Those are always just a total blast. So again, thank you so much for, for coming on. Thanks everybody for checking out this episode of Mountain comics. I do quasi apologize for not doing my, the, the standard season, but like I said, it just, Things just got a little out of hand with the movie podcast for me this year, but I promise Mountain Comics will be back, and there is a chance, I don't want to promise anything because it's not all wrapped up, there might be one more episode of Mountain Comics coming out before the summer wraps up. I'm not sure. We Again, I don't want to promise anything, but we'll, there are some plans afoot. Hopefully, uh, they will come to pass, and we'll be able to do one more visit to the cabin uh, before summer 2021 wraps up. So, of course, uh, you can follow this show over on Twitter at FWPMountainCom. You can find all the back episodes of FW Presents, which is like, I don't know, we have like a thousand shows in the FW Presents feed at this point. <laughs> over on our website, findwaterpodcast.com. You can find FW Presents on any podcatcher of your choice. And then finally, if you want to support the Fire and Water Podcast Network, just go to patreon.com slash Podcast, and there you can unlock various rewards, one of which is if you name checked on a show of your choice. So big thanks to David S. Gutierrez and Gord Tolton for their support for the Fire and Water Podcast Network. So that's going to do it. Thanks, everybody, for listening for this episode of Mountain Comics. I really appreciate it. Leave some comments. I'd love to read what you thought of uh, this issue, and uh, that's going to do it. So thanks, everybody. Take it easy. We'll see you later. Bye. your honeymoon hotline at Pocono Gardens Lodge, paradise for honeymoon lovers. Ski, play tennis, swim, have a ball. Winter, spring, summer, fall. For reservations, call 226-0841, the Pocono Gardens Lodge.